time I was teaching through Psalms. Um, and now we're in Psalm 13, I believe. So let's turn to Psalm 13. Psalm 13. If you need a Bible, Jason's got them for you. Just raise your hand. He'll give you a Bible. You're going to need it. All right. Lord, we ask your blessing on the study of your word. Lord, we thank you, especially these psalms written by David, just this idea of of the heart of a psalmist, the heart of a worshiper of God. Each of these songs being written in a time of crisis or joy. But Lord, whether you give or you take away, we see David praising you and worshiping you. You say to give thanks in all things, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. And to have a song in our heart, even in the midst of a trial, only you can do that, Lord. And so tonight, bless us, Lord, we pray as we study your word. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, uh, Psalm 13. Um, All the ones we're going to be studying tonight are all Psalms of David. And I'm going to try to uh, do four tonight, uh, 13, 14, 15, and 16. And I have a feeling we'll even get out early tonight. Um, so (laughs) there you go. (laughs) Okay. Let's see here. Uh, let's begin with Psalm 13. It's a prayer for, for God's answer. And I I love the way it begins. I love the way it begins real simple. How long, how long, how long, O Lord. And I, I, I think about that. Um, David is asking this question because he, he just doesn't think he can hold out much longer. And to declare, how long, O oh Lord, will you, will, will you forget me? Uh, you ever had those times where you pray and um, it just seems as though your words echo off the walls and you wonder where the Lord is in the midst of all that? Or is that just me? And especially in those times where it's critical and you realize God is just not in a hurry. And you, you remind him that you, I, I personally remind the Lord, I think I could run the universe better than you. <laughs> I certainly wouldn't take as much time as you're taking to resolve this issue. And, and what's urgent for me is really irrelevant to God. Uh, deadlines, deadlines to the Lord are irrelevant. Lord, you don't understand, it's the 15th of the month. And, and you, yeah, it has to happen by the 15th. And God says, no, it doesn't. I've got all kinds of things I want to work out. I'll resolve these things. The biggest issue is not the, the bill being paid. The biggest issue is you trusting me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. and all your ways, acknowledge him. He'll make your path straight. God is not going to operate by our time frame. He will meet our needs in the riches of Christ exceedingly abundantly beyond anything we could ever ask or imagine. But one of our greatest needs is faith to trust the Lord when it doesn't make sense. And uh, I'll tell you one thing you don't ask God for. Don't ask him for patience. He's really good at getting that to you. And it's experiential the way he accomplishes that. But here with David, he is declaring, how long, O Lord, will you forget me? And then this idea forever. He feels abandoned by the Lord. He feels abandoned. I shared that story with you a lot of times, but I think it was one of the times where I, I felt as though God was just absent. Um, that was when I was engaged to be married, uh, to another woman. And, um, I, I had shared with my parents that I was marrying this woman, that she was pregnant with my child. My parents wanted nothing to do with this woman. They were upset that I was marrying her. Um, my dad and mom weren't believers. And, uh, my dad said to have her get an abortion. I said, I can't do that. It's against what I believe in. That's where my, it's nothing, there's nothing like getting uh, convicted by a pagan. My dad looked at me and said, son, look where your beliefs have gotten you so far. And, um, and it was, it was rough. And that's when I said, you know, I, I, I can't do that. My dad said, you marry that woman. If that baby's born, you'll never step foot in this house again. I left. And, and I was attending a legalistic church at the time. And so they didn't want anything to do with me. Uh, they, just, they just bailed. And, and it, was, it was very lonely. I'd lost my family. I'd lost my church family. And I remember thinking, it can't get any worse. Well, it can. And it did. 
we're coming down uh, from Hume Lake. We went to go try to just seek the Lord in the midst of it and press in. Went to a worship concert up in Hume Lake. And um, coming down, she asked me to pull the car over, and I pull the car over, and she takes off her engagement ring, and she hands it to me, and she says, I need to tell you something. I said, okay. And she said, I, I slept with Steve. And I've told you guys the story. Steve was the, the college pastor who had discipled me. Now, it can get worse, and often does. And at that moment, you're, you're wondering, how long is this going to go on for? And why are you, where, where are you, God? I mean, where are you? The first thing I did was I owned up to my issues. I faced my folks. I faced the pastor. I talked to the college pastor. I, I'm willing to do my due diligence, and, and now I'm getting slammed with all this. <laughs> Just where are you? You are a... Hmm. But guess what? I'm, I'm, I'm 23 years into, into a marriage to the woman God had always intended me to marry, and that's Michelle. And in the process, while I was going through that other issue, God revealed an, uh, an enormous amount of things to prepare me for marriage. And in addition, I watched as that, that struggle not only worked in my life, but in her life, in the, in the, the daughter that was going to be born. I remember I was on Facebook. I got a friend request from um, a, a gal around 20-something years of age. That was the child I thought was mine that I'd been praying for. She's a missionary now. And, and, and my college pastor, his marriage was restored. Um, God used it all together for good in his timing. And that's the secret. You, you trust him. You rest in him and you, don't, you, you just don't give up. You press in. And when it doesn't make sense, that's when you press in even more. The things you don't understand about the Lord fall back on the things that you do. You grasp that? Amen? And so David is in the middle of something just like that. And he's, he's basically saying, how long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? I can't do this anymore. When, when people write me or they'll text me or they're going through something, they just say, I- I'm, I'm in despair, I'm overwhelmed, I can't, I'm crushed. Those words of, of describing, that's the best place to be at the end of yourself. But I, I got news for you. When they write those words, I'm crushed or I, I'm broken, you aren't. Because you know you're not broken when you're still upset with God's timing and how he's running things. What are the two rules of the universe? There is a God and I'm not him. <laughs> Right, And so David is at this place, and then he says, how long will you hide your face from me? It's almost like David is saying, you are deliberately avoiding me. You are deliberately avoiding me. I don't know where you are. You're not responding to me. You don't answer my calls. You don't respond to my texts. (laughs) And isn't it interesting how little time we spend when God's speaking to us to respond to him. The Bible says that, that all, all the heavens declare the glory of the Lord, his righteousness in the firmament. Creation just shouts, and God longs to meet with us every day as the sun rises and the sun sets. And he's speaking to us, and he's wooing us, and he's calling us. Even, even in the morning, the birds are praising him. And we don't have time to spend in his word. We don't have time to spend in prayer. We're too busy. We have an agenda. We've got places to go, people to see, things to do that don't include the Lord. But I'll tell you what, when we're really anxious, that's when God is not meeting our agenda. And now we have words for him and we want answers and stat. Time out. Who's God in this equation? Where do you get off and where do I get off telling God what he needs to do? Be very careful. Do not trivialize who it is that you are speaking to. Oh, yes, he is a loving father. And he is gracious and merciful and patient and long-suffering, wanting that none would perish, but all be saved. But I got news for you. He's also wrathful. Somebody came up to me at my daughter's wedding. Right out there as I was waiting to, to come in. 
And they said, um, uh, how do you feel about this idea of God being wrathful? I, I find him to be completely loving. I couldn't answer the question. There was an honest assessment. He was dead set on the idea that he, God is not wrathful. <sighs> to, dis, to dismiss the wrath of God is to dismiss the sacrifice of the cross. We just really didn't need Jesus to go to the cross. Why would you do that to him? Why, 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 why would the father allow his son to be so brutally beaten if he didn't hate sin? And rebellion. He's the same God of the Old Testament as he is in the New Testament. Yeah, there is a, a dispensation of grace and God is merciful. And we're seeing that. But you know what we find when grace is leveled on us? We find entitlement. You, you think that God is approving of your sin because he hasn't judged your sin. He hasn't dumped on you. I mean, I was, I was at this place where I was the one who had fornicated. I was the one who was involved with this woman. And I'm upset with God because he's not dancing to my tune. And I, oh boy, I had to talk about righteous indignation. I can't believe that college pastor did that to me. <laughs> Isn't it amazing how ugly our sin looks on someone else? Be very, very, very careful. And David says, how long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? That's one of those areas in life where not only are you in misery, but the people that are out to get you are prospering. That's a real blessing. I mean, you think about it. When it says that um, when David was, was um, in the... In the Deserts of Engedi. It said everyone who was indebted, discontented, and distressed came to David. There's like 200 people. Indebted, distressed, and discontented. That pretty much describes everyone in this economy. Um, But you know why they're indebted, distressed, and discontented? It's because Saul was persecuting everything that was righteous. They weren't bad business managers. These, these, my, that, these men that would later become David's mighty men, they weren't bad business managers. The, the, the Bible says that, that uh, sin is a reproach to any people, and, and when the wick, wicked rule, the people groan. And that was what was happening in Saul's time. Uh, they, were, they were burdened. And it seemed as though evil was flourishing, and, and, and the good people were dying and being decimated. L- let me tell you something. It's times like this that God is doing a wonderful work in the body of Christ. It's called pruning. We start to measure what's really worth something in our our life. In these trials of life, God will take us through them and we'll watch as the things we took for granted, all of a sudden we realize, I really do miss that. And I'm sorry, Lord, I ever took that for granted. And so David is kind of in the midst of a pity party right now. And he says, consider and hear me, O Lord, my God. And then I like this. He says, enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say I have prevailed against him, lest those who trouble me rejoice when I moved. God, you got to do something or open my eyes and give me some wisdom on how to navigate this because these people are going to get away with it and you're going to have mud on your face. What does the scripture say about God and the wicked? He scoffs at them. He laughs. God isn't moved by this. Verse 5 says, but I have, and this this is, listen, you just go verses 1 through 4, and it's an awful scenario. Look at me. Verses 1 through 4, awful scenario. Every one of us has found ourselves in this place at one time or another. Amen? Amen? Here's the remedy. Here's the balm of Gilead. Verse 5. But I have trusted in your mercy. What is mercy? What is mercy? Not getting what we deserve. What's grace? Getting what we don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Now, how, do, how can God be merciful and still be just? If the wages of sin is death, and he's merciful and doesn't give us what we deserve, which is death, how can he still be just? He can't. 
So justice has to be meted out. How is that done? Well, somebody's got to pay for it. Remember the story I was telling you when I was throwing the ball against the wall when I was a young boy? And I was pitching it, and I hit the Gillard's window and cracked it right by their garage. Mr. Gillard came out and knocked on the door. My dad came out, and he said, Cap McCoy, I, I, I know that, that boys like to throw baseballs, and that's a perfect wall as any, but that's the third time that window's been broken. And I have the wherewithal to do it, but I, I don't think I should have to pay for that. That window is your son's responsibility. Somebody's got to pay for it. And you know what somebody does? My dad paid for it. <laughs> Let me tell you something. When you sin, there's a penalty for it. Somebody's got to pay that penalty. And here's the problem in our culture today. When you're given a handout, you don't realize that costs somebody something. If you're receiving any governmental aid right now, somebody's paying for that. Somebody's paying for that. If you're receiving that governmental aid and you don't, you don't need it, understand somebody's paying for that. And, and the idea is somebody's got to pay. And in Christianity, the beauty of it is Christ paid it. The wage, the penalty was death. Christ paid it. But he doesn't say that, that we've been given grace so that we can continue in sin so that grace may abound. It's not entitlement or license to continue in sin. He's given you mercy so you can walk away in your freedom to exercise liberty. He doesn't grant you mercy so that you can exercise your freedom to continue in sin. Freedom is having choices. And when the slate's cleaned, or here's one, somebody pays the debt. You've run up your credit card. Somebody pays a debt. They didn't pay off the debt so you could go out and run it up again. Or somebody gives you a car and you don't like it, so you put it as a down payment and in, incur another debt on payments on a better car. Don't do it. Tracking me? So it comes to this place, verse 5, David says, I've trusted in your mercy. I rest in that, Lord. He says, and then my heart will rejoice in your salvation. Not mine, yours. God, you get all the credit, and I'm going to start worshiping you and get my eyes off my problems and get my eyes on you. I'm a great sinner. You're a great Savior. I got great problems, but the more I look at you, the smaller they become. God solving your problem is, is like him, like us opening up an envelope on a Monday morning. It's like, no big deal. But God wants us to trust him. That's the key in verse 5, trust. And then here's the other one. Here's the other one. This really lifts a burdened heart. Um, we, Michelle and I have been ministering to a family relative, and um, they said today in the midst of a, just an awful trial, awful trial, they, they said they're going to begin to sing. And they started singing in the text. And they said, sing with me. And I said, if you hear me singing, it's going to increase your sorrows. But, uh, but the idea is they were praising the Lord and the burden lifted. So David writes, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. That's what the Psalms are. They're songs. And where do you get a song? When something wells up in your heart and it connects and all the pistons fire, the emotion matches the melody, the melody matches the message, the message matches the music, and all of a sudden the, all the pieces come together and it's, it's touching and it's deep and it's profound. That's what David's doing in Psalm 13. And that'll lift your burdens. God is, is not silent. He's not distant. He's not aloof. He knows exactly what he's doing. He's in complete control. Settle down and trust him. And he's not concerned with your, your fears and worries. He wants you to rest in him. Calm down. He's got it all under control. Oh, wait. Two choices. Two choices. You can either rest in him or flip out and make everyone around you miserable and you're, actually, you're, you're, you're accomplishing nothing. Your worry is so helpful. It really, it's such a benefit to everyone around you. We just love it. I mean, we just love it. 
What was Jesus doing in the midst of the storm? Sleeping. What did the disciples do? You do not interrupt my Sunday nap. People know that. And, and Jesus, would, he was tired. Did you, if you follow that verse, check, take a look at what he did the day before. He needed that rest. And I get a kick out of people calling me on Sunday in my nap time because it's an emergency. You know, I got news for you. Don't interrupt me on my nap because I'm probably sleeping and I don't have the answer. God never sleeps. There's no shadow in his turning and he's ready to receive your call. You just don't think he has a provision and Pastor Rob will make it easy for me. (laughs) I'm just going to deliberately make it harder. (laughs) I'm kidding. Call me. Uh, That's my job. Uh, I, I do love to minister. I make light of that. And I'll always take your call. My point is this. And, 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 it, and it, has to be, it has to be noted. God's way better at this than I am. Try him first, please. Okay, one person. Amen. Two, three, five. Amen. We got that? And then look what he says in conclusion. He says, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt what? Bountifully. At one moment... God's not answering the phone. In other moments, he's dealing bountifully. How is that? When when my mom told me as she would be dead in six days, I walk in, and we didn't know she'd be dead. And she's looking forlorn out the window at Sharp's Hospital. She'd just gone through the lung surgery. Shortly, the medication would would be an issue. It would collapse her lung, and she'd she'd be with the Lord. And I walked in. I wasn't her son. I I was her pastor. And she said, Rob, have I made a mistake? I said, Mom, you have to forget what's behind. Strive for what is ahead. Taking hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of you. Don't don't doubt that. God's got it. And then she said, and, and I've told you this. She said, Rob... I never told you this story. And then she went on to explain that when I walked out of the house, when my dad said, if you marry that woman and that baby's born, you'll never step foot in this house again. When I walked out, that brought such conviction on my mother that she confessed to uh, having endured two abortions and then had shared with me that I too was to be aborted. But it was uh, Lois Early, Rear Admiral Robert Early. uh, it, it, It was his wife that put on a baby shower and saved my life. And that, that whole incident led my mom to the Lord and my father to the Lord. I got to lead Lois to the Lord, Lois early. My godfather's 99. He's still alive. When I was born, check this out. When I was born, they were so excited because they were childless. They were so excited they took $1,500 and put it aside for their godson. That paid for the wedding this last Saturday. Serious, he cashed it in. Of all the times he'd do it, he did it this year and just said, I, maybe you need this. <laughs> yeah, I do. It's crazy. She gets married sighting day and I get a cashectomy. Everything gone, just wiped right out. You took 49 years to save it. She spent it in like three weeks. It was, it was awesome. But, but listen, I get to that point, and all I could say was, God, you have dealt bountifully. When I gave the toast at the wedding, I was overwhelmed at how good God is. Amen. Relax, okay? Calm down. He's in control. Next. Ready? We good with that? Yes. Can we put that in the book and move on? Psalm 14. These are the, this is the idea of characteristics of godliness. And, and um, God uses this term, and he saves it for this category of people. And this is what qualifies them to be called that. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Now, today we would reverse that. Uh, the media tells us that the fool says in his heart that there is a God. 
I mean, you, you have to be an absolute idiot uh, if we watch the news and modern culture today, contemporary culture, uh, to believe in God. Everyone believe, thinks we're fools. I, I'm, I'm watching almost every show, every documentary is belittling faith, demeaning Christianity. I, I watched this thing on Ale, uh, Alexandria, Egypt, uh, about how uh, it was the library was destroyed by a mob of angry Christians. That is the biggest hoax. It is so full of... It's stupid. It is so ridiculous. That didn't even come on the scene until the 19, 19th century. There's absolutely zero evidence for it. Zero. They made up the story because... It's, they hate God. And they, they make it to seem so intellectual. But no footnotes, no citing of sources, none. Just, but. And so God moves in David's heart and declares, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And then David goes on to write, they are corrupt. They've done abominable works. And there is none who does good. Um, as, I was, as I was taking a look at this passage of Scripture, uh, these people are fools based on, number one, God would say, you're a fool. You say in your heart there is no God, but you are a fool based on creation alone. You are dumber than a box of rocks. You are so stupid. How can you look at creation and not get it? And where do you come up with this stuff? Where do you come up with it? Romans 1. For the wrath of God. That was for my friend on... Saturday, right before the wedding, it was just so sweet, man. I'm sorry, but just the topic gets to me. For the wrath of God, verse 18, Romans 1, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. Clearly seen. Somebody once said that if the stars came out once every thousand years, we would stay up all night to watch them. But we've become so accustomed that we take them for granted. Now, I don't know to what extent Pastor Steve taught on Psalm 19, but I'll tell you this. We think a good day on visibility is you see a few miles. At night, you see billions of miles. And you look at the stars, and those are suns, and around those are planets, as far as the eye can see, and we're just in the Milky Way galaxy alone. And to tra- travel from here to the sun, 93 million miles. And if you were to stack, uh, if this represented, if this right here, the thickness of this represented the distance to the sun, 93 million miles, just the thickness of that piece of paper, to get to the o- edge of the known universe, you would have to stack papers something like 2.6 trillion miles high, each one representing 93 million miles. It is vast beyond measure, and you and I are gnats on the butt of an elephant. We are nothing. And yet in the midst of it all, you can go out anywhere on this planet Look up at the night sky and know where you're going. And you can get there with a sextant accurately. You can leave Los Angeles with simply a sextant, which is a device to to note the stars, and you won't miss Hawaii if you travel. All based on the stars alone. Oh, well, that just happened. That's, see, that's just chance. No, creation doesn't allow that. Creation declares that, that, that this is 
This is God. There's no other way around it. Psalm 19, as, as you remember, um, Pastor Steve, he says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There's no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. It is like a bright neon sign going, There is a God. There is a God. There is a God. There is a God. And it's pink, pink, pink. And you walk right by going, There's no God. You're an idiot. And we, we give those idiots doctorates. And we let them teach our children. And they call me an idiot. Our kids are smarter than those doctors. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That riddle, what's greater than God and more evil than the devil, the rich need it, the poor have it, and if you eat it, you'll die Adults couldn't get it. Kids got it. Because they did just the first sentence. What's greater than God? Nothing. Everything else fits. And so creation declares that they're fools. The other thing that declares, and that the psalmist declares, or God declares, that, that, that um, qualifies them to be fools? Design. Design. Water. It evaporates, comes in on a weather pattern, hits the mountains so it's stored so that it can bring water as it melts to crops in the portion of the year where the... Are you kidding me? It's amazing. And then it cycles. And the sun rises and the sun sets and we can set a calendar by it. Nobody's impressed. Does anyone have a watch? Can I have your watch? This is my favorite. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Sorry, Brett, it's shockproof, right? That's like walking along and saying that that watch just happened. No, it did. How? Well, it's... Very involved process. Over eons. Billions of years. Billions, billions of years. Lots of years. Billions of them. Uh, how did, how, how, well, it's, it's quite amazing, actually. You see, <clears throat> the sand uh, over billions of years accumulated, and then lightning hit, and then it melted into a glass kind of thingy. And then the wind over thousands of years blew on it and buffeted it. And then these little uh, things, the chips, uh, the compu- th- those, oh, how about <laughs> billions. You can't even explain the strap. Oh, no, I can't. You see, the frog got a wart on its head and turned into a bird. Uh, and it had a beak, and the beak was, it, that's how it poked the holes in the band. <laughs> Perfectly spaced like this. It, are you an idiot? No, I'm a scientist. <laughs> what you're doing right now is what God's doing. Amen. Every time one of these classes gathers, he's like... <laughs> Really? There's order. Design. Look around the room. Yeah, sorry. Design. When my daughter was born, I I was fascinated by her little hand. I'd never seen a fingernail so tiny and cute. Is it merconium that comes out? Is that what it's called, babe? That nasty stuff? Fascinating. Even that's brilliant. Nasty, but brilliant. Here's one. Here's one. Why did they say that you 
can't circumcise a child until the eighth day. Dr. Linda? Clotting factor. Clotting factor. Vitamin K? Doesn't, isn't created in the baby until about the eighth day. It's in the liver. In the liver. It has to produce it. Has to kick start it. Liver doesn't work until after the baby's born. So if you circumcise the child, it'll bleed to death. And yet, long before God said, circumcise on the eighth day. Why? I, I, this doesn't make, trust me, you'll know later when I reveal more to you. Mm-hmm. This is why they qualify as fools. The blinking light of creation and design. There is a God. 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 It's like trying to fall asleep and watching that light blink. Have you ever seen that on the VCR? You can't sleep. You're like... And we become dull to it. And we we just shut down. Listen, it's not, it's not because there's not enough evidence to declare that there's a creator and there's a designer. If we acknowledge that, we have to submit to him. That's the problem. It has nothing to do with science. I'll, I'll, give you another, I'll give you another qualification that allows these people to be declared fools. This is, this, is, this is a qualification that gives them the ability to be declared as fools. Conscience. Conscience. We all have one. Romans 2 goes through the whole conscience thing. I don't care where you go in the world, lying is wrong. And telling the truth is right. Murder's wrong. And not murdering is right. Stealing is not right. Right? Protecting private property is. Now, granted, there's variations, and some cultures try to deal with it. But then you'll get an atheist going, well, no, 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 I've seen cultures where they have, they have more, they, there's, there's, a, there's, there's morality within, and their absence of God. I don't doubt that. But I just wanted to ask you, who declared it to be right? That strikes me as order. That also strikes me as an absolute. Oh, I don't believe in absolutes. Again, do you believe that absolutely? That's the stupidity of it. And you know why an atheist, and I, I'll tell you what, I bet you there's a lot of atheists way more moral than me. That's not in question. But guess what gives them that, that compass, that, that, that moral conscience? It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Lord. He's a restrainer of evil. Amen. Somewhere along the lines, they, they were given right and wrong. You can despise your parents all you want. The reality is you have what you have because they're doing what they're doing. You reject that, you're cooked. And it's just a matter of a couple of generations before it all implodes. Righteousness exalts a nation, sin is a reproach to any people. And this picture that the distance between my conscience and my actions, anyone have a problem with that? We all struggle with that, right? Why, uh, those, the Apostle Paul, those things I want to do, I'm not doing. Those things I don't want to do, those are things I'm doing. That's called a conscience. Good thing. I don't want to do this anymore. But the harder I try, the more I fail. That's called a sin nature. That's a whole other story. But God says, I will give you the ability to overcome all that. And that's that conscience. That's what draws us to the Lord. And we find forgiveness. And in the light of, in the light of creation, in the light of design, in the light of our conscience... God has the ability to declare that we're fools because all these things scream of God. And then finally, I would just say, what qualifies a fool is not only when he declares that there's no God, what qualifies him is that he's a fool because he has neglected creation. He's neglected design. He's neglected his conscience. But this is my favorite above all, the revelation of of God through his word. I, I was talking to a young man who said to me, I spent two years reading the Bible. That's all I did was read the Bible, and I got nothing out of it. Really? Yeah, nothing. 
to deal with that part that says, come to me, all you who are burdened and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. That, that didn't faze you? How about the part, come let us reason together, though your sins are as scarlet, you'll be washed as white as snow. That didn't, that didn't faze you? You're all tripped up because the, the coney chews its cud, and if it's a rabbit, it doesn't chew its cud, and you're stuck on these stupid, ir, ir, ridiculous questions in the Scripture when there's a, 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 just a massive amount of declaration of God's character and, and Him wanting to steer your life, and if you obey His word, you, you, you see an abundance of, of joy. All of Western culture has been established on the word of God. You're living in a nation where the number one influence more than any other book, ten times more than any other writing, was the Bible for our founding fathers. And you're telling me you're not moved by it? Are you an idiot? You qualify as a fool, God says. You can't read the Bible and tell me it doesn't. You got an agenda. You gave up a long time ago. It has nothing to do with the power of the word of God. It has to do with the hold sin has on your life. You've exchanged the truth for a lie. Romans 1. And you know what? Well, some people say, well, it's, it's unreasonable to have that kind of faith. It's not unreasonable. God, God, gives us enough information to have a reasonable faith and, 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 and to be clear in the decisions we make. He's, he, you just follow his word and it blows your mind. We'll run out of time. Let's, let's go to Psalm 15. Well, let me read through it real quick in Psalm 14. The fool said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand who seek God. I mean, if you seek me, you'll find me. If you seek me with all your heart. Here's the problem. People aren't seeking the Lord. They just give up. They love their sin more than they love God. They love darkness more than light. It has nothing to do with truth. It has to do with you just want to go for it. And your life is out of control and you love sin more than the Lord. So the scripture says they've all turned aside. They've together become corrupt. There's none who does good. No, not one. At first, sin is kind of fun. But after a while, it's no fun to hang around those people. They're stealing from you because they ran out of drug money. And, and you're, you're all turning on each other. And you stink. And you haven't eaten anything good. And you've been going to 7-Eleven. They're tired of seeing you. I just remember. Uh, that wasn't me I was just talking about. <laughs> Stop that back there. And then David says, Have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call on the Lord? You, you, just, start, you, just, you just start looking for the innocent and you just start devouring them like a roaring lion and you start preying on people. And that's fun. And, and, and it, the younger, the better. And the more innocent to, to corrupt and destroy a man had three women in his cellar and beat them until the woman aborted or, or lost her child. And he has, he has this mindset that, that we lived in harmony together, the guy in Cleveland. That's evil. That's a man who engaged in his sin, and he had some way of justifying it because he was their savior. It doesn't work that way. It's awful. And so there are... There they are in great fear, for God is with the generation of the righteous. You shame the counsel of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. Oh, that the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion. When the Lord brings back the captivity of his people, let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. And the idea is God, God will have the final word. Psalm 15. This psalm was written by David when they were transporting the ark back to Israel, it was probably the highlight of David's life. He would reflect back on this. And this was probably one of the most significant moments in his life. The Ark of the Covenant, you remember in uh, 1 Samuel 4, uh, Israel had gone to battle and they got beat. 
And they thought, how do we win this thing? And they thought, I know, let's put the ark in front of us because they, they thought it was a you know, rabbit's foot or a lucky charm or something. And they went in and they got annihilated. And the ark was taken by the Philistines and they put it in the temple with Dagon and they came in and Dagon was on his face. They lifted Dagon back up. They came in, Dagon's head was broken, his arms were broken. They're like, turn off the camera, just erase that video part. And, and they had to get rid of the ark. They put it on a, a brand new cart and they, they put uh, an offering on it and they took two... Uh, cows that had just given birth they were they were nursing and they kept the calves back and and they were lowing the whole way they were separating but they walked towards israel that's only god and they put on the top of the ark with the emeralds and and golden rats golden emeralds and golden rats because it had a breakout of rats and hemorrhoids and i always get a kick out of that how do you make a golden hemorrhoid and who's the one who designed it you know i'm going to need some models to help me with this the gold designer, the jewelry designer. Uh, what are you making? I'm making a gold hemorrhoid. Okay. Yeah. The, uh, the Bible's funny. It really is, I think. I think it's very funny. Very funny. And, and so, this is the intensity of the ark because on the mercy seat between the two... The, the, the two angels is where the Shekinah glory of God would reside. It would be a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day, right in the Holy of Holies. And, and they looked at it as a lucky charm. You know, God's going to do our bidding and we're going to win this war. We, and that's how people look at God. He's, a, he's, he's, he's the cosmic genie in the sky. And you wear your little cross and you got your, your gimmick. No, he's not to be trifled with. He's not to be messed with. It's almost like Joshua when, when he said, whose side are you on? And the Lord said, neither. It's not about your side or their side. My side. I'm the captain. You, you can be with me or you're going to perish. And so finally when the ark was ready to come back, it was at the house of Obed-Edom, um, David rejoiced, and, and they were bringing it back on a cart, and they hadn't read the words, and, and all of a sudden it hit a rock, and the ark started to slip, and Uzzah went to put his hand out to stop it from falling. He was a Levite. He was killed instantly. And David's, whoa. And, it, and, it, and it, it floored him, and he had to write Psalm 15, and this is what he says. Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who are you? Who may dwell on your holy hill? He who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart. Uh, And then he says, and who does not backbite with his tongue? Hmm. Does not, uh, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up a reproach against his friend in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but he honors those who fear. He honors those who fear the Lord, he who swears to his own hurt and does not change. He does not put out his money as, at usury, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. I, I have a friend who's trying to finish a vehicle, and I, 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 I called another friend, and I said, Can, you want to give a loan for 12 months? I'll, I'll give you 10%. And they said, what's it for? And I shared with him, and I go, that, that's, that's not a loan. I'm not going to get money out of that. That's a joy. That's ministry. I was blessed by that. And, and the picture that you see here in Psalm 15 is, is God just says, this is what's necessary for, for my children. God's not a trinket. This cheap grace thing God isn't, isn't giving you grace so that you can continue in sin. He's serious about this. David loved this moment in his life because he saw the intensity of what it did to the nation of Israel. 80,000 people died because they messed with the ark. They opened up the lid one time and people were eviscerated. And I'll say this. And this is what David learned. The only time a child of God can ever be defeated is when they walk in disobedience. And God doesn't want you to be defeated. He doesn't want that. 
seven minutes. Well, let me close with this. Verse 5 says, Oh, wait. Yeah, verse 5 says, He who does these things shall never be moved. There was a time in my life where everything moved me. A song moved me. The thought of sin moved me. Everything moved me. I had no idea what it was like to face intense temptation and not be moved until I met the Lord. And that victory comes in obedience. I can't do it on my own. I can only do it through Christ who strengthens me. And don't look at God as a rabbit foot. Cling to him, press in. We'll close with the next six minutes. Let me do Psalm 16. Preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust. O my soul, you have said to the Lord, you are my Lord. My goodness is nothing apart from you. As for the saints who are on the earth, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Their sorrows shall be multiplied who hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood I will not offer, nor take up their names on my lips. O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. Listen to this. Here we go. This is the the center theme of the whole psalm. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a what? I have a good inheritance. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is my right hand, I shall not be what? That's a theme, isn't it? Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will resist Oh, excuse me, will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol or hell, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the paths of life, and in your presence is the fullness of what? You want joy? It's in the presence of God. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Verse 6. Can you say that of God? When the Lord says, the lines have fallen to me in pleasant places and I have a good inheritance. You you know when he wrote this? He was 20 years old. He'd just been kicked out of the palace. He'd lost his best friend. His family was now being hunted like a dog. He was being hunted like a dog by Saul. He lost his command he lost everything as the arrow went over his head when Jonathan shot it at 20 years of age it was all gone he had known the lap of luxury he had known everything and he lost it all and it's not until you lose everything that you realize you've always had what you've always needed and that's the Lord Take everything from me and give me Jesus and I got all I need. If Job can say the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away, blessed be the name of the Lord. If Job could say, yea, yea, though he slay me, yet will I praise him. That's David. He is is in the midst of serious trouble. Serious trouble. And if God doesn't intervene, David's going to die. It was one of the most critical times of his, of his life. He's running from Saul. And what got him through? What got him through? The Lord. He says this idea of prosperity. And uh, my inheritance. You know, we are... We are heirs, joint heirs with Christ. And he says, 
The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. What does he have? The Lord. I don't think people grasp that. This picture where he says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust. Verse 1. That's how it works. Trust the Lord, he'll take care of you. Trust in the Lord, lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, he'll make your path straight. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. And then he says, O my soul, you have said to the Lord, you are my Lord. My goodness is nothing apart from you. The only good thing in your life and the only good thing in my life is Jesus. And as for the saints who are on the earth... They are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Let me tell you how I know you're walking with the Lord. You love to fellowship with his people. If you're avoiding fellowship. You're not plugged in. This isn't your song. You're you're only singing it for, for entertainment value. This is not your song. When you're plugged into the Lord, you love fellowship. You love his people. You love to be around them. I remember Pastor Mark, I was talking to him one time. I said, you're here all the time and you you run heavy equipment and you you burn the candle at both ends. You're going out to Camp 13. And and I said, you don't need to be at church another. He goes, be at church. I love to be here. It's what what the disciples said. It was Peter. When, When they... They, Jesus said, is this too hard for me? And they walked away. And he says, any man putting his hand to the plow, looking back, is not fit for the kingdom of God. Anyone who won't leave mother and father, he, he, just, he just lays out what discipleship means. He says, um, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. The minute you don't have a pillow, you're going to quit. And he lays it out, and everyone's so discouraged by what Jesus said and the intensity of following the Lord that they left. And Jesus turns to the remaining disciples, and he says, why don't you leave? And basically, Peter just said, because, Lord, you've ruined us. Where else will we go? For you alone have the words of life. I don't need all this. I got you. And and he says, their sorrow shall be multiplied who hasten after other gods. Look, the way of the transgressor is hard. may not seem like that right now, but trust me, it will be. It will be. Their drink offerings of blood I will not offer, nor take up their names on my lips. Stay away from them. Either you're influencing people or you're being influenced by people. Either the Lord is your guide or somebody else is. Oh, Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance in my cup. You maintain my lot. And he goes through this picture of an inheritance. You know, when I told you about my Godfather, three weeks. took 49 years to save. Three weeks, it's gone. But guess what? That's the best money I ever spent. The whole desire for that day was that the Lord would be lifted up. I've never wanted for a thing in my whole life. I don't have, I don't have a retirement. I don't have any savings. I had no idea we were going to pay for the wedding. God did. Listen, he's got it. He's got it under control. Um, I'll finish real quick. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. And I've set the Lord always before me because he is my right hand. I shall not be moved. You got to stay plugged in. He's got to be in front of you. He's got to be your guide. Otherwise, you're going to be moved by the things of this world. Television will get you. Your boyfriend will get you. Your girlfriend will get you. Uh, whatever you're reading is going to get you. And you're going to be miserable. Stay plugged into the Lord. And what will you get in return for that? It'll be this, verse 9, Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in hell, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. And then he says this, For you will show me the path of life, and in your presence is the fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I close with this thought. And the thought is simply this. One of the greatest testimonies my wife and I enjoyed as all of our family was at the wedding is that for 23 years of marriage, looking at a room that was filled with people that we had come to know only because of of the Lord. I went away to Uganda. I never had a conversation with Brett or any member of this staff about my daughter's wedding. I didn't even know my wife had really had much of a conversation, nor Molly. I came back from Uganda. I didn't even know, 
I walked in and the sanctuary was resplendent. I didn't even know what, what was required to do that. I was, I was undone. I was so overwhelmed by the graciousness of God. Not one embittered person, everyone who did it, did it with joy. I have no idea why. But I can tell you this. That's the love of God shed abroad in our heart one for another. I wasn't worthy of it. I didn't deserve it. But I was, I was overwhelmed by it. My heart was full. And when you keep your eyes on the Lord, your life will have meaning. People don't quit on each other. We're family. And I watch now being the pastor of this church for coming on 12 years. I, I, I can't believe I get to do this. That's, that's what it's like to walk with God. What else are you going to do with your life? Retire with a Winnebago and go to Vegas and eat in a buffet? <laughs> good luck with that. We're Christians, amen? amen? We got it good. Father, thank you for your word, and we thank you for tonight. Lord, thank you for your servants, so blessed by their faithfulness. And Lord, that's because of what you did. You were the one who set the example of what it means to be a servant. And the joy is, is to be able to walk in that life, empowered by your spirit to enjoy the blessings that come with it. And so, Lord, we praise you tonight and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.